Hi, this is Bruno Del Granado from Creative Artists Agency. You're listening to Your Morning Coffee, the podcast with my friends, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Weekly music news for the new music business. Insightful, entertaining, and always on point. From music business worldwide, it's happened. 100,000 tracks are now being uploaded to streaming services like Spotify each day. From Billboard, five takeaways from All That Matters 2022, TikTok, Web3, and an emerging subscription market. And from Wired Magazine, streamers use playlists to control the music industry. Oh, oh, so many things to talk about, Jay. Let us set our phasers to stun, and we're going to get going right about now. Stand by for transmission. This is London calling. Wake up! Your morning coffee is on the air. 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 For the new music business. It's the highly curated, agitated, advocated, moderated, and liberated digital music information that you need to know. We are your digital music authority. Now, from our studios in Hollywood, California, here's your hosts, Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchart. Jay, welcome. It is episode 112 of our podcast. I think it's 113. It's 113. Want to start it again? Let's just keep going. Jay, it's episode number 113 of the podcast. Where does the time go? October is already rocking and rolling. And hard to believe that 2022 is kind of heading into the home stretch. Yeah, Q4. Here we go. Q4, here we go. Remember, Jay, when Q4 used to be the time that you sold all those records and CDs? And now it's a year-round business. Yeah, it really is. It's an always-on music business, uh, as we say. Um, Q4 is still kind of that big blockbuster uh, quarter for uh, albums, box sets, anthologies, things like that, but uh, not like it used to be. Not like it used to be. I mean, you used to just, that was, that was the, the quarter that made or destroyed your year. Yeah. And of course, we've mentioned this before, and especially when I was in the EMI family, there were all these uh, stories abound about uh, needing to make up your numbers, and then a call goes out to, let's say, Walmart, and a big order comes in, a big semi-truck with product goes out there, but it just sits on the dock. And as soon as the calendar flips over to January, that truck comes right back. Yeah. I'm it's so, never even I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. We used to lovingly no. refer to that as shipping gold and return platinum. <laughs> 
It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was bonus time, and you were either going to make bonus or you weren't, and you were going to do whatever you needed to do to get bonus happening. Yeah. So, I do want to mention, I think I said this last week, but it's been so true. I mean, the, the newsletter, Jay, has been chocked full of so many absolutely amazing stories. Yeah. Um, it's, my God, It's there's so much great journalism uh there really to is be, to be yeah to be caught up with on on this ever changing industry yeah it's overwhelming and, right now um, typically yeah. in the main section of your morning coffee the newsletter there's like maybe twelve thirteen or fourteen you know key things that uh, are stories that we need to uh, pay attention to and and that you and I typically will choose from to break them down on the podcast. This week I had like twenty five by the time I got ready to edit it down. And I hated putting some of those in the second cup section, you know, at the bottom, but there was mm-hmm. just, there's just way too much, uh, going on. And, uh, I'm happy to say that, uh, a couple of things happened this week that were really interesting. One is Glenn Peoples from Billboard started doing this new global music index where he takes these key music business stocks and he created this really neat, uh, index And uh, not only did he do that, um, but he added it to his weekly newsletter, The Ledger, which uh, if you're a Billboard Pro subscriber, um, you can get that. Um, The headline uh, of a story that he wrote this week in Billboard was music stocks are down over 44% so far year over year. And so he started doing this new music business index. And uh, I wanted to figure out like, well, what's in the index? You know, what is this thing? And, you know, yeah. And so uh, I reached out to Glenn, and uh, this is what he said. I'm speaking to my friend Glenn Peoples, who is the lead analyst at Billboard and author of the weekly newsletter, The Ledger. He's also uh, just unveiled the Global Music Index, which I added to your morning coffee this week. Glenn, what makes up the index, and why is it down 44% when it seems like the music industry is booming? You know, the music industry is booming, but the stock market is not the economy and the stock market is not necessarily reflective of only the performance of these companies. Um, so the stock market in general, markets around the world have, have had a really bad year and streaming stocks, especially uh, whether it's Netflix or whether it's Spotify, have had a bad year. And, and really, uh, the index is down uh, quite a bit, mainly because Spotify's down. Wow, you know, always insightful, and yeah. you know, it, it, it's I, I admire some uh, th- those sort of things that he follows and tracks are just stuff that I can't follow and track. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's like I just I, I always wanted to be able like to yeah. be insightful like that in those areas of business. I'm just not, yeah. and so. I appreciate having somebody, you know, that, that I can turn to that has that unbelievable depth of knowledge and, yeah. and is articulate when he explains it. it yeah. it's, it's, he's, it's wonderful. Uh, he's one of those guys. He's a lead analyst at uh, Billboard magazine, and mm-hmm. he's always been that guy that's been on the earnings calls. And so he's, you know, he's not taking somebody else's opinion. He's on those calls and he does the research and he does the math and... I've learned so much uh, from Glenn. So in your morning coffee, uh, you'll see that article we just talked about. And and thank you, Glenn, for kind of breaking that down for us. And then the other thing that you and I saw this week that was really nice is that 
there was an article that we put in in your morning coffee, and the headline was 10 Best Music Industry Podcasts You Don't Want to Miss. And there we were. So, brother, mm-hmm. congratulations. That's super cool. Oh, um, oh, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's from uh, Symphonic. Um, and if you don't uh, subscribe to their newsletter uh, or, you know, just head on over to the Symphonic blog. It's just blog.symphonicdistribution.com. Uh, super special shout out to Randall, Jeanette, Jorge, Michael, and that incredible team over at Symphonic. We appreciate you so much. Um, I wanted to walk through the uh, 10 podcasts that they listed um, because a couple of these I wasn't aware of, and I can't wait to check them out. The first one was from Spotify for Artists called the Best Advice Podcast. Number mm-hmm. two yep. was Your Morning Coffee Podcast, which is pretty cool. Uh, number three was The New Music Business with Ari Herstand. Um, number four, behind the music business with Russ Tannen. Um, mm-hmm. number five, anatomy of an artist, um, by Verute. Um, and I wasn't familiar with that one, so I can't wait to check, uh, check that one out. You want to take the rest? Sure. Absolutely. We've got, uh, number six is the female entrepreneur musician podcast, which is hosted by Bree Noble. Uh, number seven is the music industry 360 podcast, which is from symphonic. Yeah. Uh, the Lizzie Jane podcast, number eight, number nine is music is my business, which is hosted by Anthony Clint jr. And number 10 is music business worldwide with oh, Ting, Tim Ingham. I listened to that one. And of every course that single, is yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's, fantastic. it's absolutely great. In fact, um, We'll get into it in a minute, but our, our first story is is from Tim Ingham. Um, that team over there at Music Business Worldwide is world-class. They're absolutely amazing. Um, they really are. Can't wait to dig yeah, in. They do such a good job. And, uh, you know, we, yeah, again, fantastic journalism abounds, and we stand on the shoulders of giants when we are able to, to reach out and, and connect with those folks and participate in what they're doing. And boy, it's just, we are, we are, it's, it's just the golden age of music journalism. It really as is. This business has evolved into what it is. Right. And, uh, you know, as we do our podcast, Jay, we also do, speaking of standing on the shoulders of giants, we have some fabulous uh, sponsors. Yeah, we sure do. Your Morning Coffee podcast is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Built by musicians for musicians, Banzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it super easy to build a beautiful website and EPK for your music. All the features that you need for a professional website, everything's built in. Hosting, custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to help you sell your music and merch commission-free, that's key, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscription features, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, social media integrations, and live support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. Your Morning Coffee podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com, try it for free for 30 days. Just use a promo code MORNINGCOFFEE, all one word, and you'll get 15% off your first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code MORNINGCOFFEE. And we are also sponsored by HypeBot. Since 2004, HypeBot has chronicled the new music industry and the trends and technologies that are changing how music is discovered, consumed, marketed, and monetized. It is edited daily by founder Bruce Houghton with help from Alana Bonilla. HypeBot and sister blog Music Think Tank are published by live music discovery and marketing platform Bands in Town. And indeed, Bands in Town, over 65 million live music fans trust Bands in Town to get personalized concert alerts, 
recommendations and messages from their favorite artists. It is the number one artist service platform, connecting over 550,000 artists with their super fans. Managers, labels, agencies, and artists access their own dashboard to manage and promote their tour dates across all platforms. That is Banzoogle, Hypebot, and Bands in Town. Yes, 1,000 thank yous to everybody. And, yeah. Uh, I caught a couple of different live music things, and Bands in Town is always uh, on the first page of my yeah. my smart device. And I went and saw uh, Marcus Mumford's solo show this week, nice. uh, Ben Harper's solo show. and uh, How were they? You know... They were great. They were really good. I, the, the new uh, Marcus Mumford so, uh, solo album, which is his first solo album, I believe, uh, has a song called Grace that I just cannot stop playing over and over and over again. Awesome. And so, uh, I'll check you that know, out. It's, it's fun to see live music, Jay. It is always fun to see live music. And by the way, the guy, speaking of Jay, the guy that I get to hang out with once a week at least and uh, do the podcast is none other than Jay Gilbert. He is the co-founder of label and artist services company Label Logic. He is the curator of the fabulous weekly Your Morning Coffee newsletter and a former executive with Universal Music, Sony Music, Warner Music Groups, and Fox Home Entertainment. Yes. And his Minnesota Vikings are four in one. Can you believe that? And this guy sitting across oh. from me is Mike Etchart, longtime host of Sound and Vision Radio, formerly of SST Records, Warner Music, Capital EMI, and Universal Music, where I had the pleasure of working with him just right down the hall. Yes, indeed. And the first day that I met Jay, we started talking about Beetle bootlegs. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, I need to spend time with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We've been buddies ever yes, since. Yes, we sure have. So, Jay, what do you say we jump into our show, our, 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 our episode yeah. and our articles? There's so much to talk about. So much. And some very interesting articles that we're going to chat about. Yeah. And uh, we should also mention, though, about uh, Rachel Newman talking about uh, this this um, this announcement. Apple celebrate Apple Music celebrating 100 million songs. That's right. Yes. Yeah. She um, was hundred million. This songs. first piece that we're going to talk about, they actually mentioned uh, Rachel Newman uh, announcing mm -hmm. that hundred million milestone. Um, she said today, anywhere in the world, in 167 countries and regions on Apple Music, any artist of any description can write and record a song and release it globally. Every day, over 20,000 singers and songwriters are delivering new songs to Apple Music, songs that make up our catalog even better than it was the day before. And I had a chance to to speak with Rachel um, this week about this incredible uh, milestone. Let's let it roll. Hi, Rachel. Apple Music just announced that you're celebrating the impressive milestone of 100 million songs. Tell me about that. What What's in a number? Um, oh, hi, Jay. Nice to be speaking to you today. Um, look, it, it's, a, it's a gigantic number. It's a number you can barely wrap your head around. Um, but I think, you know, why it's so significant is it signals, a, you know, a maturing of the digital business. And, you know, when you think about iTunes, um, you know, when we launched, we launched with just 200,000 songs in 2003. Um, and so, you know, to have 100 million songs all these years later is um, is so significant, I think, mostly because it kind of signals the democratization of the music business overall. And you can get uh, music songs and albums from artists anywhere um, all over the world. And in fact, um, one of the most interesting things about this number is that 
you know, for us, the kind of um, the true global nature of music is is more present than it's ever been. It's not just about getting music from artists, um, more artists. It's about getting music from uh, more artists in more parts of the world. So um, it's truly, uh, truly a mind boggling number. But when you kind of, uh, you know, uh, really attribute it to what it really means and and just, you know, how many uh, opportunities there are these days for, for artists uh, to have their songs heard from wherever they are in the world. I think that's what really makes it um, the most meaningful. Congratulations. Thanks, Jay. It's such a big number. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is when you think about it. Um, in that article, I think she mentioned, uh, she said back in the 60s, only 5,000 new albums were released each year. Now, th- that must be worldwide, yeah, uh, so. because that, that seems like a, even a big number. You know, you, you you think about it, it is such a dramatic change from when we started in the business, how much music is released, uh, how quickly it comes. And we're going to talk more about that from a couple of different uh, articles. But it's just stunning, absolutely stunning. Yeah, absolutely. And if you think about it, it was wasn't that long ago when the Apple slogan was, you know, for the iPod, fit 1,000 songs in your pocket. Right. <laughs> now you're fitting right. 100 million songs in your pocket. It's crazy. Exactly. It's just absolutely it crazy. Yes, yes. But as we, we will get into um, in a little bit in the, in the future here, it is what exactly those those songs are is, is, is has kind of a big question mark over it. So without... Uh, Without going to it now, that is something we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Yeah, so, yeah. fascinating. Very nice to hear from her as well. Yeah, and this all came about, um, this this uh, article from Music Business Worldwide is talking about this, um, this conference um, that just happened. And we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about that in, in the next uh, story. It was in Singapore, and uh, it's called uh, All That Matters. And it's basically all of these different kind of uh, verticals um, that they talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, It's Asia's meeting point for music, sports, gaming, and online entertainment industries. And it was, it was held uh, at the end of September in Singapore. And it's, you know, there's one of the verticals is music matters. And they had uh, some great conversations about web three and about, uh, you know, just the music industry and streaming and live business and all of that. And again, we'll dig into that in the next piece, but that's really where this quote came from. But it wasn't just um, this one um, from Sir Lucian Grange, you know, who's the CEO of UMG. Uh, Stephen Cooper from Warner Music Group a couple of weeks prior was at a Goldman Sachs event and he quoted that 100,000 uh, number, 100,000 tracks uploaded um, daily. and Every day. And look, we're not saying that they're wrong with this. It's just, it's not as simple as that. So I spoke to someone close to the matter and, and he, he sent me this note. He said, I read through that Music Business uh, Worldwide article and you know, saw that they noted Grange and Cooper, you know, CEOs of public companies. So we'll take them at their word. You know, they would never mislead investors. So this is a number that seems to have come out of thin air, though. Remember years and years ago when everybody would cite that 95% of all music being downloaded was stolen? Nobody even remembers where that number came from, but they said it over and over. Not necessarily CEOs of public companies, but everybody else said it. So 100,000 could be true, but here's the point. It carries with it about 100 asterisks that each deserve 
an explanation. And as I was kind of reading this article, I, it dawned on me, you know, it's probably pretty close to that number, um, but it's going to vary by territory. It's going to vary mm-hmm. by DSP, of course. And you'll remember that last year we took a look at Luminate MRC data and it said that in 2021, there were about a little less than 29 million ISRC codes, you know, that were uploaded that year. Now, an ISRC mm-hmm. code, as a lot of people will recognize, um, that's the master unique identifier. Um, and with that, you could have 12 versions of a song and each one would carry a different ISRC code. So it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that, you know, there were 28.9 million songs uploaded that were different. You know what I mean? Um, it's, yes. it's those ISRCs. So that averaged out to be about 79,232 ISRCs daily. And so I think it's in the ballpark, this 100,000 number sure. that they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Absolutely. And it, they, they have a graph on this article that showed, um, going back to 2018, uh, it's the, the, approx- the approximate number of tracks uploaded, in this case, to Spotify and other music streaming services each day. So back in 2018, it was 20,000. In 2019, it was 40,000. 2021, 60,000. And then this year, we're at 100,000. Wow. Crazy. And of course, you know, and as uh, I didn't realize, by the way, that Steve Cooper is outgoing. That's yes. what this article mentions. He's outgoing from from uh, from Warner Music Group. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, what he was saying, and this is true, you know, when you think about this and it's, it's such if, if you're an artist, it's such a daunting number, which is, you know, how do you get uh, how do you get. How do you get any attention? And, you know, what he was saying is the complexity of being able to separate one's music from the other 900, the the other 99,000 plus tracks uploaded that day is incredibly complex and incredibly difficult. He suggested the emergence of Web3 platforms would add to that complexity for artists due to the interactivity required to bring a creator to prominence and to keep them prominent. Mm -hmm. He added, most creators don't have the capital, the skill levels, or the expertise to do all of that and be successful. So what he says, as such, Warner is looking at Web3 as a tremendous opportunity to further assert its role in helping artists to get noticed. So it's a good point, though. You know, if if you have an opportunity to be with a major label or to be with a label is it worthwhile to just to, you know to cut through the clutter and it's yeah. it's daunting if you're an artist it's incredibly daunting it's the most difficult but again, thing we, yeah yeah and what, what, as we, you and I talked before the before we hit record you know what are those 100,000 in quotation marks um, as your friend mentioned uh, that you know all these asterisks that that has to happen uh, that, that you have to sort of include in that statement you know what are those tracks what are they? Are they all like just as we would assume songs? Are they remixes? Are they, you know, it's there's all kinds of things right. they can and be. are they being so listened they? to? Is what I ask because, you know, um, there are all sorts of stats that we read on, you know, what is actually being listened to on on digital service providers. Now, if you're somebody like SoundCloud. There's this avalanche of music because the barrier to entry is low, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then you and I jokingly refer to this really cool website called Forgotify, which you can go there <laughs> yes. and it'll play you songs that have never been played once. And the last time I read a stat, it was something like 17, 18 million tracks that were up on digital service providers 
had never been played once. And Tim points out in this piece that, you know, is, is 100 million tracks better for audience than, say, 20 million? Especially when you consider that statistically some 80% of all tracks on Spotify have fewer than 50 monthly listeners. And that, according to one senior major record company insider, quote, everyone knows that most of that music hasn't ever been listened to once, end quote. Right. Unbelievable. So it's, you know, it, it is, it is a, it's a fascinating number. It is fat. It's fun conversation, but you know, and then of course you, we talk about the quality and, um, as, as Tim, Tim pointed out in this, uh, in this article, you know, and this is kind of, uh, Refer, referencing Rachel Newman's statement, do 100,000 new tracks swarming onto Apple Music every 24 hours actually make its catalog even better than it was the day before? Do they actually make it bigger, more overwhelming, and less manageable? In reality, do they increasingly dilute the good stuff, making it harder and harder to find? And that's really, you know, we've you and I have talked about this a number of times about the opportunities that artists have now to basically easily create music and put it up and and make it uh, just on par. You know, you're right next to you 2 you're right next to any artist you can name, but how do people find it? And and should it be up there? Is it, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, it's such a, a daunting question to ask, is it good enough to be up there? But, you know, in the day when major labels ruled the earth, they at least put a lot of resources into making the music as good as they could make it. And now it's so easy to just put up anything. It really does kind of muddy the pond to me. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I, I take the tact that more is better um, because there's mm-hmm. so much more... Well, there's so many more ways to discover music, and I'm so fortunate that these indie artists can go right up alongside of Drake and the Chainsmokers. I love that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, since there is this, you know, like drinking from a fire hose kind of mentality, all of this music, yeah, there may be some things up there that are are not world class, you know, that aren't going to make you laugh and make you cry. but I think it's a good thing that there's a lot of this. And I think that cream typically rises to the top. Um, mm-hmm. We talk about on this show a lot how catalog is still a majority of the business, right? Yeah. It's as of much course. as we'd like to think that it's from, you know, DSP curated playlists. That's not where a majority of the spins comes from, right? It's from people's libraries and user curated playlists and things like that. So I, I think it's a good thing. Um, I just think that we need to have better tools for music discovery. There are some great tools out there. Um, There are some cool algorithms that I know that gets a bad rap, but you know, that help you to discover new music. Um, I think the behavior of streaming is, is challenging because if you're not in the first 12 to 15 tracks, then you're more of a lean back kind of listening experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're so engaged in those first dozen or so tracks, you might be cooking dinner or working out or, you know, on your commute or whatever it is. Um, I, I think that we're just in our infancy here when it comes to, to streaming, but I, I see it all as a good thing. I really do. Yeah. But it's an overwhelming thing for sure. And, um, and those numbers are just going to keep going up and up and up and up and up. Uh, well, or will they? I mean, I wonder what the sort of ceiling is. You know, yeah. what's and but that also leads into kind of the question of, as this article mentions, you know, um, 
and it, it, they, they quote uh, Rob Stringer over at Sony Music Group. He's the chairman. He refers to a lot of this stuff as flotsam and jetsam. Mm-hmm. And, and the, as Tim points out, by what he essentially means, piles upon piles of 30-second sleep or sound effects tracks solely designed to game the pro rata royalty payout system favored by music's biggest digital players. Are there some shenanigans going on with those 100,000 tracks being uploaded every day? Yeah. We don't know. Well, we don't really know what, what we can assume that some of that is happening. Right. And there was an article from The Guardian that was in your morning coffee this week, and the headline was, No Tune, No Words, No Dancing, Why White Noise is the Music Industry's Newest Hit. And you're right. There's all of this you know, ambient music or music to study by, or, you know, I saw this playlist, it was called jazz for sleep, you know, and things like that. (laughs) And people love the word chill, you know, now that we're back to the workplace, um, people get home and, you know, the number one um, request for some of these smart speakers, like the, well, I can't name it because I'm surrounded by them, but is, is chill. You know, the, that term is the number one music uh, search term on some of these devices. So, yeah, uh, there, there are, you know, you have any system, people are going to try to game it. And, uh, sure. But there's a lot of music being uploaded. Not all of it is going to be great. Um, but, you know, it's, it's such a new music business in that if you're into a small niche genre or mood, you can mm-hmm. you can find your tribe. Absolutely, absolutely. So great article from Tim, and uh, you know again it's it's we will be talking about these numbers and this phenomenon for a long time as we always do. Yeah. And I don't know how high that that number is going to get. I really don't. And at some point, it would be wonderful to have some sort of a a true examination of you know just a snapshot of a day of uploads and what those are you know are they true songs are they are they the average of three minutes or the average is 30 seconds you know just yeah, what's that breakdown more information yeah what is the breakdown yeah so yeah, that would be fascinating we'll, we'll, maybe one day we'll get that yeah, exactly i hope so, so. all righty the next one jay from billboard five takeaways from the the uh, the conference you mentioned all that matters 2022 tiktok web three and an emerging subscription market yeah yeah, this we is, uh, we talked conference. a little bit about this. It's, you know, in Singapore, this article for Billboard was written by Lars Brandel. Excellent, mm-hmm. excellent article. Um, and so it talks about this Music Matters conference. And that's, music is one of five uh, kind of mini streams under the All That Matters banner. Um, and it returned as an in-person a conference for the first time, well, this decade without limitations because 2020 edition was held virtually due to the pandemic and the 2021 show went ahead and it was live, but it had heavy uh, restrictions. One of the first questions they asked in the music side was, are we back post COVID? And the answer, I heard two great responses in this article. One was back ish and the other one was yes ish um as markets stagger uh, they're reopening including china and japan it's not as simple as yes or no and that was uh, a quote from rob harker who's a ceo of super modified agency he said it's not what it was before there is a flip side japan indonesia thailand and korea are stronger than pre-pandemic so that's that's interesting He noted Mm -hmm. that the pandemic sort of sped things up as live events look to Web3 to engage audiences. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, he said, um, in recent years, local DJs and artists have soaked up those opportunities to connect with and entertain audience with international acts absent from the touring and club scene. So we're it, like, like you said, Jay, it's we're getting close. We're back ish. Um, but some of the countries are still closed. Some are open. And I, we have a list here of recent concerts that, uh, or I'm sorry, yeah, recent concerts that were canceled from huge artists just on uh, October 6th. Yeah. And I'll take the first ones if you, if you don't sure. mind. It's so Harry Styles postponed a show, Stevie Nicks postponed a show, Justin Bieber tour is postponed, uh, Demi Lovato had a show postponed, Paramore had shows postponed, mm-hmm. The Weeknd had shows canceled. Right. Um, I'll let you take it from the well, rest. Well, yeah, boy, and remember, this is artists. these are all from this last week. Um, yeah. You know, Alan Jackson. <laughs> Jackson. Alan Jackson, that's easy for you to say, postponed a show, Rage Against the Machine, uh, canceled a tour a couple of days ago, Coldplay uh, postponed some shows, Lindsey Buckingham canceled some shows, um, Ringo Starr canceled some shows, and it go, the list goes on and on. Um, by the way, I pulled up that list from somebody I follow on Twitter, uh, a doctor out of Toronto. His name is Kashif uh, Perzada. And he's a medical doctor in Toronto, and he has a really cool uh, Twitter um, account. And uh, I thought that was really interesting how many shows were postponed or canceled just in the last week. Crazy. It's crazy. Absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's and, you know, and we're heading into that time of year, typically where the where the numbers will bump up because you know, it's sort of flu season and the weather gets colder. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so one of the one of the things the article mentioned also, of course, TikTok is ticking its boxes. They mentioned that uh, Lear Cohen, who, of course, is YouTube's global head of music um, and a former keynote speaker at Music Matters, gave the music in, uh, recently gave the music industry six billion billion reasons to cheer. <laughs> Back in September, he said that YouTube has paid $6 billion to the music industry in the year uh, to June 20 of this year, a year-on-year increase of $2 billion. He said, we want our twin engine of ads and subscriptions to be the number one contributor of revenue to the industry by 2025. Well, think about that for a second. That's just uh, the first half of 2022. Um mm-hmm. That is uh, a chunk of change. That's that's a lot yes, of a lot of revenue. And then on the other side of that, you know, TikTok, you know, a business that just several years ago was an outlier, right? Before licensing mm-hmm. arrangements, led by Ol Oberman, he's their global head of music. TikTok is only three or four years old, depending on which country you're in. He said, uh, YouTube and Spotify, they've been around for 12, 15 years or whatever. If you look at where we are, meaning TikTok. Uh, where we are now in terms of impact and revenue paid out relative to where they were when they were three or four years old, I think we're actually ahead, but we're still figuring out our business models. Um, We're only live with our premium service in three markets. Give us another five, 10 years, and I think we'll be having a similar conversation. Very interesting. Yeah. So then the next one they brought up is, as they called the big short, short form videos are all the buzz, though not every artist is keen to participate. Remember, we talked about Halsey uh, a little while back uh, and she broke ranks earlier this year when she complained that record labels were forcing artists to create viral TikTok moments to promote their music. Uh, and, uh-huh. you know, and and um, Oberman had a message for those artists struggling under the weight of constantly having to create. He said, I understand that. 
There's so many places where artists interact with their fans now. It's more than a full-time job trying to keep up with that. But I do think that there's a bit of misunderstanding of what it means to be active on TikTok. You can be really active because you're posting three videos a day, or you can be active because your song is having a moment on TikTok. He said every artist, every creator has to find their sweet spot with what they want their profile on TikTok to be. And not everyone is going to want to be really active, a really active video poster. So that's probably really great advice. You do need to find that because it's overwhelming. You know, what do I do? What do I focus on? You know, by the way, write great songs first and then, and then do all this other stuff. It can be just a crazy. Well, yeah. Short form video is the thing. It's, it's that shiny thing right now. And I was talking Mm -hmm. to a friend of mine at a record label last week and they had just hired a full-time person to just make short form videos and to make sure that there was a, a cadence and a calendar and all of that, you know, for reels and stories and TikTok and even things like eight second canvas videos. And, you know, it's so important now, the short form, uh, video. Now, one of the things that they talked about at this conference, and we alluded to it in the last piece too, you know, for web three, um, one of the things, one of the buzzwords that you hear a lot is this metaverse, right? You think of it like maybe mm-hmm. a, a virtual world and there's, there's lots of virtual worlds. There's lots of gaming, uh, virtual worlds and all sorts of things. And they, they talk about it here. Um, and there's a, a quote in here from Olivier, uh, Robert Murphy. Um, the, the sub-headline is, the metaverse isn't here yet. For all the talk and hype and hullabaloo around the big M, the metaverse, it really hasn't fully arrived. And Olivier said that, you know, it's being built. It doesn't exist yet, just yet, right? Um, so he, he walked through, he walked guests through uh, work in progress, you know, and shared some tips on how to play in that space. Creators are the celebrities in this brave new world. Gaming is still the quote-unquote on-ramp, although music is getting there, and brands are really keen to get involved. So, you know, this one-size-fits-all approach won't work. And, and I think that's spot on. I think there's a lot of press today about, you know, NFTs and DAOs and Web3, and there are some really interesting things going on in the space, but um, it's... You know, it's not there quite yet. We're we're figuring some things out. We're we're growing mm-hmm. the business and learning some ways how we can apply those things to our business. This last point I find incredibly interesting, and they they headline it as emerging power. And they start this by saying, the establishment, your time is up. Music from South Korea, Puerto Rico, and Colombia is on the rise on Spotify, which now boasts 433 million listeners across 183 markets. And as new export markets emerge, global music exports for the U.S. and U.K. have decreased. And so that is, you know, as, as this article says, streaming is now a global sport. On Spotify, K-pop generates more than 9 billion monthly streams, more than half of these coming from outside of the Asia-Pacific right. region. And you and I talk remarkable. a lot about Latin music, um, mm-hmm. thanks to our friend Bruno. Um, yes. And Bad Bunny, who's like breaking all of these records with touring, you know, Latin music, K-pop, all sorts of music that's not U.S.-centric now is it's massive. 
Absolutely. He says more and more global artists are breaking in so-called trigger cities Mm -hmm. in the Philippines and Indonesia, and the shift will be complete soon. Emerging markets are expected to represent the majority of music subscribers by 2026. Boy, that is fascinating. By the way, you just mentioned trigger cities. If if you Mm -hmm. ever want to, and this is directed towards the audience, if you ever want to... Uh, learn more about trigger cities. Um, my friend Terry Tompkins from Hofstra University did a uh, a study um, with a with some other smart people and published it. And you can find it if you Google it. You can find it. He did a I think it's a two or three part study on trigger cities, and it's super interesting. And what is a trigger city, Jay? Because I'm not sure I know the a trigger city is really one of those markets. It's kind of late to the party, has mm-hmm. uh, a large population and inexpensive. Uh, advertising rates. Um, And now uh, a lot of the streams that we see across our artists are coming from these markets. Wow. Fascinating. A changing business without a doubt, a changing, and it's becoming much more of a global influence business. And like I said, some of the powers that historically US, UK uh, do not have that same sort of leverage and power that they did as before. Awesome. Fascinating. Our last article, Jay, boy, this one was unbelievably wonderful. This was a fantastic. Yes. It's from Wired Magazine. Streamers use playlists to control the music industry. Right. And this is actually, um, the story is adapted from a new book that's just come out, I think two weeks ago, called Choke Point Capitalism, How Big Tech and Big Content Captured Creative Labor Markets and How We'll Win Them Back. It's by Rebecca Giblin Mm -hmm. and Corey Doctorow. Doctorow. Yeah. I, um, I can't which, wait to get this I think this you book. and I are we're, yeah. we're, we're ordering this book today. That's right. Um, um, I, yeah, I can't so wait to get it. Really it, interesting. Uh, it should be a really great read. So, you know, as you just said, this this story that we're covering in Wired Magazine is, is adapted from that book, um, which is amazing because they cover areas of the music business, you know, that typically only insiders are really aware of. And um, I'll kick it off. Um, they stayed in here that, you know, immediately before the streaming era began, we experienced one of those rare moments in the history of recorded music where, you know, power flowered in the direction of artist or I'm sorry, power flowed in the direction of artists. It looked like flower. I need to put on my glasses. <laughs> flower. sounds kind of cool. Flower power. So the power flowed in the direction of artists, you know, so although it was economically disastrous time for many artists, the, the democratization um, brought by digital technologies and the internet also finally forced record labels to reform abuses uh, that they'd carried off for decades, they said. So now, however, recorded music market is again taking on its former hourglass shape, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, as uh, the, this time with the streaming platforms at the center of that hourglass, just as the music industry is organized to let labels and publishers scoop up much of the value of music, the streaming platforms, as they become more powerful, are positioning themselves to do the same. 
Super interesting. Yeah, yeah. As, as it says here in the article, the most dominant Spotify tells investors its plans to leverage its listeners into a massive digital ad play that would make it a market leader behind only Google and Facebook. It pushes playlists with names like Mood Booster, Happy Hits, Life Sucks, and Coping with Loss to extract what the company claims is subscribers' real-time mood and activity data, then flogs it to sell ads. But this is almost certainly a counterfeit claim. Like the rest of big tech, Spotify is better at selling advertisers the idea that it has a mind control ray to make people buy stuff than it is at actually persuading people to buy stuff. The real money will come from Spotify inserting itself as a gatekeeper between musicians and listeners. That is fascinating. And those very, yes, and those very same playlists that gave, the, the, the it references someone at the beginning of this article that kind of hit and made some money. It says, uh, and other, uh, it, it will be... A, at the very same playlist that gave this person and other artists their breakout success will be central to its ability to do so. Yeah. So again, we're talking about gatekeepers and, and, you know, one of the things that supposedly the digital music business uh, and the way things are now uh, change things is it removed the gatekeepers. Well, but now here we are that talking was the about promise. That was the promise. Right? That's but it's right. Not, it's not really the case though, is it? You know, streaming is sold as a way for listeners to access almost any music on command. Increasingly, however, obeying nudges from streaming platforms, subscribers listen to playlists prepared by algorithms or human curators instead of making their own selections, unless you're me. As the International Federation of Musicians, IFPI, points out, playlists are increasingly pervasive. There is one playlist for each moment of the day. Wake up, breakfast, workout, relaxation, meditation, running, partying, etc. One single click of a button and the music is on for the next 30 minutes or the entire evening. Um, I thought that was really interesting. You know, a lot of playlists now are really focused on mood um, and even some on a, on a demographic, you know, like, uh, like Pollen, for example. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's certainly evolving. Well, and it's also, you know, it's sort of the move from active listening to passive listening, right? And that's, that is the big difference, I think, um, in how... We all listen to music, and I'm I'm as guilty as the next person. But you know, in in our era when we were young people, you would get that album, you would take it home, and you would proactively and and actively look at the album and listen to music, and you would put the radio on, and that was more of a passive listening passive listening yeah. experience. But by and large, I at least in those days, it seemed like there were, we were more actively listening than passively, and it's and because it's so ubiquitous now, it, it sort of leads to that passive music listening right well experience. they talk about in this article and we'll get there in a second of some of this music that people turn on and then leave on all day and i am guilty of that um because mm -hmm. i don't listen to my favorite music when i'm working because i'm reading things and i'm typing out emails and i'm having calls and things but there's certain you know like lo-fi hip-hop is is something that i listen to a lot mm -hmm. while i'm working because it's very soothing it's it's super cool and it doesn't distract me and i'll have that on all day long uh to keep me company during my work day 
Right. Uh, they, they reference um, music journalist and commentator David Turner in this article, and he mentions that he sees uh, these playlists as repeating the same old tune. The tone of playlisting shifted very quickly in the last couple of years, from excitement to, disillusion, to, do, to disillusionment. Once we recognize that the same issues of gatekeeping that existed in forms like radio are just simply being repeated. So right. here we're having a, the, the the comparison to yes. radio and how hard it is to get onto radio. And now it's the same thing being replicated in playlists. Yeah, and David Turner, we've talked about, you know, and we've covered his work. He has that weekly, um, I think it's weekly, uh, newsletter uh, called Penny Fractions, which is, you know, on kind of the streaming ecosystem. And if you don't subscribe, you really should. Um, David puts out an amazing, uh, amazing uh, blog and newsletter. Um, playlist culture imports old power imbalances, uh, this Wired piece says. And I thought that was super interesting. Yes. When writer and music commentator Liz Pelly analyzed the gender of artists featured on Spotify's most popular playlists, she found just one woman led song, you know, on Rap Caviar's evolving 50 track playlist over four weeks just one wow. right yeah. with other leading lists doing better the the biggest editorial playlist on every platform also prioritize american voices and we talked about that in the last piece as we're becoming more global with these playlists mm-hmm. and with music that's changing but it's a it's good to point out that the majority of this is english uh, speaking and it's male. A recent study found that almost half of all acts featured on Spotify playlists were from the U.S. It was even higher for Amazon Music at 67%. And as in the past, the, the system often helps acts that are repped by the biggest labels to get the most exposure. Of, of course they do. You know, their, their staff have direct access to pitch songs, to editorial teams, and are helped by the fact that the platform needs to stay on the major's good sides to secure favor, favorable terms next time their license comes up. Yeah, I mean, if you own a piece of a DSP or if they're um, looking to you to update or renew their, you know, a license, you might get a little preferential treatment right there. Yeah. The next point they bring up was also fascinating. And we mentioned we, we really want to read the book, but it says streaming is also changing the very sound of music. Spotify wants subscribers to listen as much as possible. And one way of assuring that is to feed them stream bait. The kind of background music that could be left on, as you were mentioning, Jay, all day without <laughs> fatigue. To that end, Spotify pushes undemanding options, chill hits, chill vibes, chill rap, de-stressed chill, chilled soul, peaceful piano. Musicians looking for the monster volume it takes to make a living from streaming are steered toward creating unchallenging, forgettable tunes. Per stream payments even seem to be influencing song length, which has dropped substantially yep. over the streaming era. You and I talked about That's this, right. I think, last week or the week before. Drake's 2018 album uh, featured 25 songs, averaging just th- over three and a half minutes apiece. Yeah, so music's getting so, shorter. There's a lot yes. more of it, you know, 100,000 a day. And there's a lot of this chill music that we talked about. And if you haven't listened to lo- lo-fi hip-hop, um, check it out. It's it's really nice. Um, it's like something you'd hear, I don't know, like in a doctor's office or a therapist's office, except cooler. Or you know what? It sounds like if you went to the lobby of the W Hotel and you're waiting for your room. <laughs> it's really more, okay. more like that. And there's some other things in this piece that I just, I can't wait to read this book. But 
the, the more listeners automatically head to Spotify's Viva Latino, you know, or, um, you know, rock classics, the, the more streaming comes to mimic radio. The difference mm-hmm. is that with radio, there were thousands of DJs deciding what to play, including many that were passionate about breaking new local talent. With streaming, uh, just one faceless global giant programs each channel. I thought that was super interesting, too. Yeah, you know, and it's, it, you know, we, you, you may recall, you know, during our era in the business, of course, there was all this consolidation, consolidation at radio. And so you, you know, you lost that sort of regional radio uh, yeah. experience where songs could break in a region. And then when, you know, the large companies kind of started buying up all these radio, different radio stations, yeah. and it was fewer and fewer people. But now we're down to like, one, <laughs> you know, if, if you're a Spotify well, listener, I would, it's Spotify. I agree with that, um, you know, that homogenization and that, you mm-hmm. know, it used to be the different markets would have different personalities based on what you just described. But something really interesting that we talked about last week that I've really been spending some time with is Apple Music Radio and how mm-hmm. I was watching, like, have you ever seen Elton John's um, station yes. over there? It's so good. Yes. He is yes. such... And you know Elton. He is a music freak. Like he knows mm-hmm. chart positions and he's a you know collector and he's a And his- always has been that yes. way. And he's a, a yes. real historian, a passionate music guy. Um, but I just want to give a shout out to Apple Music Radio because it's really kind of a nod back to that era that I grew up in where, you know, I grew up on, you know, in high school it was, you know, KGON on the FM side. Um, those mm-hmm. those DJs were like rock stars to me. And later I got to actually know some of them and work with some of them, which has just been such an honor. And then on the AM side, uh, in Salem, Oregon, where I went to high school, it was KBZY. And I used to go down there and hang out with the DJs during their sets. And, you know, uh, we'd talk as they were spinning the records, you know, we, we would talk and drink coffee and man, I, I just have such a romantic time, uh, radio. Absolutely. One of the things this points out, which is, again, just fascinating, is we talk about this passive versus active listening. Mm. It says, when streaming platforms exert so much control over what gets listened to, they gain more and more ability to shift value from the artist and labels, songwriters and publishers. Spotify is already flexing that muscle. Its ambient playlists have for years been dominated by pseudonymous... How do you say that? That's pseudonymous pseudonymous <laughs> I can't even pronounce that word by by right. by these pseudo anonymous songwriters and performers go. with no online presence uh. but millions upon millions of stream song plays and leading ambient act, oh and, and and leading ambient acts like Brian Eno and uh, Bibio have been dropped in their favor one investigation found that more than 90% of tracks featured on Spotify's ambient chill list came from these mystery viral artists all originating from Swedish production house Epidemic Sound. Yeah, we talked about that. The top 50, yes, we did. The top 50 of these artists have racked up almost 3 billion streams between them. Um, So so the the suspicion is that Spotify has negotiated lower than normal royalties with Epidemic Sound, then prioritized its music to fatten margins. And we have talked about this. Yeah, there was a variety piece. Um, Yes, it was. Yeah. Very, uh, very troubling, I would say. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah, it, it really is. And there, there was another point that was brought up. I and mean, this, we could talk about this uh, article for hours. It, uh, I can't wait to read the book. But um, there, there's this trend that they state that you know it threatens to disintermediate artists and labels. I love that word, disintermediate. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as Amazon sought to disintermediate publishers by encouraging writers to publish directly, um, Liz Pelly has been warning of this danger for years. She said that a music culture dependent on playlists is dependent on Spotify, whereas a music culture dependent on albums is dependent on record labels. Passive listeners are less likely to form connections with the musicians who make it or seek out their gigs. Instead, they just keep loading up the playlists that promise more of the same and accept whichever interchangeable artist are loaded next. And that's kind of my only you know, gripe about streaming. I, I love streaming. Um, I've discovered so much great music you know, with streaming, and I love that I have, you know... Uh, a hundred million songs in my pocket that I can choose from. It's just, it's like Star Trek stuff. It blows my mind. But one of the things, and I don't know what the solution is, but is once you get deep, deeper into a playlist, it becomes that lean back and Mm -hmm. um, people aren't necessarily um, looking you up, so to speak. And, but there are also those things like we we were talking about uh, a week or two ago, how people who are, finding viral videos, let's say on TikTok, they're going to DSPs directly from TikTok to, you know, um, either listen to the music or follow them on, you know, that DSP of choice. Um, I think that's super encouraging. And I think there's going to be more platforms, you know, that young people are going to be interacting with that will drive them to some of these streaming platforms. Yeah. So the book is check. Uh, I'm sorry, choke pot. <laughs> I'm just not speaking very well today, Jay. <laughs> the book is this is this article in Wired is uh, excerpt is taken from <laughs> choke point capitalism. How big tech and big content captured creative labor markets and how we'll win them back. It's by Rebecca Giblin and Corey Doctorow. So uh, we are going to get that book. We are going to talk about it for sure. Yes, we sir. might even get both of them to your morning uh, coffee uh, conversation. book club. <laughs> you guys, yes, we exactly. encourage our, our listeners, you know, check out this book and we'll, as soon as we get through it, kind of like what we did on that, uh, Warner music group, uh, Sonic boom mm-hmm. documentary that we, we both kind of read at the same time and, and then came yeah. back and talked about it. We'll, we'll do this too. It's not easy to say, uh, choke point <laughs> capitalism. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to digging in and then we'll, you and I will, we'll talk about it. It'd be cool. Yes, and I promise next week I'll pronounce words much better, Jay. I'm just off my game today. You know, know we we both go through that sometimes where, you know, we just, (laughs) it's like verbal gymnastics. You know, yeah, pseudo anonymous. That's the that was the word I was trying to get. So I'm going to work on that. Pseudo anonymous. Pseudo anonymous. Yeah, I think that's what it we was. tripped yeah. on remuneration a few times. Oh, because that that I still stumble. That word that, should that be remuneration. Right. It's talking about numbers. Yes. Why is it yes. remuneration? Somebody explain that to me. In, in fact, I don't. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter. But some days we but, just kind of stumble oh <laughs> stumble through this I've stuff got more, but it's I've got marbles in my mouth someday. but it's it's such a great week for music news if you didn't you know yes. um, go through your morning coffee uh, you need to it's it's super important the last three weeks have been some of the best uh, music journalism um, the most important stories that I've seen in years and I've been doing this uh, newsletter for almost eight years now 
Yeah. Well, and it's such a great resource. I say that all the time, Jay. It that. really is a great resource for for those of us that don't have a lot of the time to really spend like you do going through it all. And uh, you do a fabulous job. Thank you, sir. Of, making it happen every week and on that note we do want to wrap up the show we want to thank everyone for listening Jay and I certainly appreciate it big thanks to our sponsors Banzoogle Hypebot and Bands in Town could not do it without those fabulous groovy folks so uh, Jay and I really appreciate that and we appreciate you listening in every week because uh, we couldn't do it without you so on that note we say thanks for listening Jay and I will be back next week of course for another episode of the Your Morning Coffee Podcast and we will see you then. You've been listening to Your Morning Coffee, the weekly music news program for the new music business. Join Jay Gilbert and Mike Etchard next time for the digital music news you need to know.